Welcome to a special edition of SMX Insider. Besides myself, Jason Wygant and Daniel Blair, and our stat man, Clinton Fowler, breaking it down, we're going to add an all-time group. We're going to have Jeremy McGrath, Ricky Carmichael, and Ryan Villapoto here to talk about what they saw at Anaheim. We would love to ask them what they saw at Oakland, but Daniel, that race postponed. We didn't have Oakland over the weekend. That's right. February 18th, Oakland is on the schedule. Just moved into February, but... Jason, you'd love to go from round one at Anaheim right into round two, but because of the atmospheric river or whatever it's called, that's what my family and friends are calling it. They said they haven't seen anything like that in decades. Uh, but due to that, no Oakland round. But hey, for us to get on and talk to McGrath, Carmichael, and Villapoto and just take things a, la- uh, a layer deeper in our coverage of Anaheim, I'm, I'm good with that. So there's our special treat. We have a panel here. Three of the best to ever do it in this game will break down Anaheim 1. we got the greatest of all time, Ricky Carmichael, the most combined wins when you put Supercross and Motocross together. The King, Jeremy McGrath, the all-time winner, both in Supercross career titles and race wins. And Ryan Villapoto, who won four straight Supercross championships and twice won both the Supercross Motocross title in the same year. So quite a panel, way more experienced than Daniel Blair, I can tell you that. So let's get to it, boys. Let's talk Anaheim 1. This is going to be really fun. Uh, a lot of topics to hit, but obviously it starts with Eli Tomac. Daniel, we have a panel of legends here, and Eli himself headed that direction. Yeah, that's what he's been chasing, I think, for a while. And last year, in my opinion, he kind of reached that status as one of the all-time greats. If you look at his wins and his championships and the way he's done it later in his career. And it's cool to get this group on and talk about things. And Jeremy, I'll, I'll start with you. Anaheim one has been this weird race for a long time where if you win that race, you don't win the title. I think RV, we'll get to you on that in a second. I think you were the one that cursed the whole thing. Um, But Jeremy, for you, you won the opening round a lot of times. How important was it for you to kick off things strong and, uh, and be really impressive at that opening round, which Eli did in Anaheim? Yeah. You know, Anaheim for, for me was always special because it was honestly a home race. And I think I had an advantage when it came to that. The series started in Anaheim a lot of the years, but first part of my career the first few races one was Orlando then Houston then it went to Anaheim so you kind of had a chance to settle in uh, I always really look forward to Anaheim I know uh, you know you can these guys will, will for sure mention this too but I'm um, you know it seems like every year there's two or three big races right so Anaheim is usually a big one Daytona is a big one and uh, maybe obviously final round is a big one but uh, I don't know a lot of times people get really nervous. I just used to get really jacked up for Anaheim. Loved it. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, little curse there, RV. You were the first since Tomac here to be a defending champ to actually win the opener. Did it feel different than the other rounds? I think Anaheim one always feels different. Um, there's so much pressure coming to it. All, all, the, all, all the manufacturers are pretty much based here. Um, at least when I was racing, there's a few of them that have left. But uh, there's just everybody, their brothers, their mothers, everybody comes out. Um, and everybody's waiting to kind of see where everybody's going to stack up. So it was always a really nerve-wracking race. And I, uh, you know, able to win it twice, but also have some really poor performances. Um, you know, so leaving, obviously winning, there's nothing better than winning in R1. But then leaving, I think I, I had a 16th there one year. Um, you know, so that's a big, kind of a big hole to climb out of. And also mentally, like, we just went to Anaheim 1. You know, this guy, top three right here, and then you're running around 16 um, and have a lot of points to make up. So I think for these guys, like watching Eli come out, and, and uh, he was very impressive. Um, and I'm one, look, you turn that bike anywhere, you just look comfortable, and it was a very tough track. Um, I talked to a few guys um, 
after that weekend and they were like, dude, it took me all day to learn how to ride the track fast because it was very technical. Okay, the obvious thing, Ricky, would be to say, Tomac's a defending champ and he's already won and he usually starts slowly, so he's going to be unstoppable now. Is that a guarantee or is the opener sometimes so weird that even someone like Eli Tomac, you cannot guarantee this is going to be something to carry forward? Well, I think if it was a couple other people other than Eli Tomac, you could say, ah, we'll see if this person's able to do it and continue on the rest of the series. But uh, Eli Tomac's uh, results speak for themselves, no doubt. So you certainly have to take him serious. And it was an impressive ride, uh, certainly impressive. And the fall down and the comeback spot those guys that much track position and come back and do what he did. Uh, to RV's point, I mean, that he just looked really, really comfortable on a certainly difficult track. So uh, kudos to him without a doubt. But for me, uh, Anaheim, I, I never really liked it that much. The, just the opening round, I always just, there was just so much hype. A lot of guys liked that. I personally didn't. So my, my, my goal was always to go there and just if I could get out of there and make some good points uh, and then continue on, let, it, let the dust settle. That was, uh, that was my model. Now, if the, if the win was there, of course, I was going to take it. And there was a couple of years where I was in, I was in great position to, to, to run for, for, a, for a win, but I never made that happen. You know, it was rider error. Uh, everyone remembers 2002 uh, on Honda, my first race on Honda. I went over the bars and hurt myself. And then uh, I had another opportunity. I felt pretty good. Uh, it was maybe 06. And of course, I made another mistake and uh, I went down in the whoops. I feel like that was my best option. But the game plan was just to go there and maximize maximize the night and get as many points as possible. If the win was there, take it. If not, uh, live to fight another day. Okay, so let's talk about Tomac from an all-time standpoint. Clinton, we have our data man, Clinton Fowler, with us. Give us some numbers here to illustrate how rapidly Tomac is starting to climb the ranks. Eli's really just running up the ranks right now. Um, I'm curious... Jeremy, when you hear Eli Tomac, he's got eight championships combined between Supercross and Motocross, but he's now third in, in wins with 77 wins, 10 behind you in second, um, uh, maybe a chunk behind uh, RC there with 124 SMX wins. But when you guys hear that he's third, what do you think? Well, I personally think that he's done it in a really sneaky way. You know, he's had some great seasons, but he's also had some seasons where you're like, man, he should have won a lot more because he was pretty dominant. Eli has really seemed like he has a sense of confidence now, even more so than when he was winning on Kawasaki. Riding the Yamaha, he just looks incredible. And to, to say, you know, to watch him last week ride the track, like these guys said, it was an incredibly tough track. It looked like he, he was in a whole nother league in the whole field, to be honest. Uh, he could do whatever he wanted out there. It looked like the track didn't have the ruts that it actually did. And you saw all the other guys just going down a lot. So um, Eli's been pretty sneaky. It's pretty impressive that he's up there <clears throat> for a while. You just really didn't consider him to be up into those kind of numbers. Uh, you know, Dungey was sort of the same way. You know, Ryan dominated ricky dominated i dominated like there's you see the guys that are creeping up that are dominating but uh dungy kind of did it in a way that was pretty sneaky and then now we have eli who's just kind of stayed pretty under the radar but uh nonetheless impressive his riding i mean i just was reading this, your stats this morning and he's now the oldest guy to win a supercross championship at 29 i was 28 so i was the oldest guy for a while but to me, his 29 looks, he looks fresh. So I think these guys are in trouble. It's 
it's pretty neat to see. So let's get to James' thoughts on Eli at Anaheim 1. But I think the fact is he looked better than he did at any point last year at the first race. His bite looked better than it did at any point last year, which is at the first race of this season, that he's going to be hell and high water to beat. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, uh, James' take is that these guys are in trouble. I think that's the one thing this panel can agree on. You get Eli Tomac, who's normally not great at the opener, and it changes things in a hurry because now he's not even going to have to come from behind like he normally does in the title. Uh, Anyone stick out that might be like, well, maybe they weren't at their best and they'll give more of a challenge as it goes. I would say, I think um, the first guy that comes to mind, obviously Chase Sexton, right? He's the shiny new object that everyone, everyone thinks that can take Eli down. Um, I, I'm in the position where he, he's got to show us that he can iron out all of his mistakes, right? He made several mistakes, so uh, he still looks like he's got some things to iron out. Uh, but then I go back to Cooper Webb and Dylan Ferrandez. They started ninth and 10th, I think, on their first lap. They came around the, the start-finish line. So if you, if you take what they did, and they both came up pretty much the same time, all the way up, through the main event, I think that you need to keep your eye on them. And the reason that I say that, especially Cooper Webb, you can't sleep on that guy's skills, right? He doesn't have as many wins as Eli Tomac, but he's a two-time Supercross champ, just like Eli Tomac is. So um, I, I think that, and he's certainly crafty when it comes to racing, and he is really strong-minded. And you have to have that. I'm an SMX World Championship, as you guys know. Uh, Dylan Ferrandez, I still feel like I haven't lost all hope in him. Had an incredible 250 career, as you guys know. Has showed some decent speed uh, in the in the premier class. So I think those those two guys outside of Chase Sexton are the guys that you uh, should should keep your eye on. Clinton, you have some data to support exactly what we're seeing with Sexton on the racetrack. What do you got? Yeah, you know, at Anaheim one on lap 15, he's leading. He's up six seconds on Tomac, and then on lap 20. He's, Tomac is now four seconds ahead and in the lead. So he's, he's, Tomac's moved forward two positions and he's put a 10, he's basically capitalized with 10 seconds, gone from six seconds down to four seconds up. Maybe it was pressure, maybe he's just playing it safe, but the lap times really changed at the end of Anaheim one. Are there some nights where you're just like, man, I'm racing the track right now. The guys are going faster, whatever. Uh, Is it management mode at times? The thing is, the thing I thought about is Sexton should have been pretty good in that condition, right? Being from where he's from, we saw, we've saw we seen some great races from him on tracks that are pretty rutted, pretty tough. And I do agree that there are some other riders that we're going to probably, once we get to a good track, we're going to see shiny. Uh, and I think, honestly, with the Chase Sexton comments, third is good. But I think third is only good if Eli didn't win. You know, so if... Eli, since Eli won, he's definitely behind, you know, schedule, I would say. And third is pretty good, and it's only five points or six points, whatever it is. But Eli's throwing the first shot across the bow, like, hey, you guys are going to have to catch me. And I'm feeling pretty bad. And I want to see what you guys got. So uh, I think the other riders were probably hoping for something different, right? They were hoping for a win there. Eli maybe a not having the greatest race, building some momentum like RC talks about in his racing career, how he just kind of tried to get through, get some points. You just never know. Everyone talks a big game until they get to Anaheim and it really shows what happens. So, uh, granted, the track was super tough and I don't think we've seen the best of Cooper Webb, the best of Jason Anderson, the best of Malcolm Stewart. I mean, they all seem like they were 
running really good at times, but then they got squirrely and went, went off the track or whatever he did. So tough night. But uh, again, I think third would have been. It, it is a good race. It is a really good race, but not with Eli Tomac winning the race. All right. A lot of career starts. Yes. Andrew Short had 87 career starts where he got his first win. Malcolm's sitting on 86 starts right now. Look at that first win. And this all leads to this conversation that we had at the top. The ages of the riders, the amount of starts, people staying in the game longer. So Clinton and Daniel, I'll let you set this up. Clinton, I'll go to you first. Just give us some numbers behind how much older the field at Anaheim is now compared to the way it used to be. Yeah, you know, Weege, it's kind of crazy to think there was only three riders under the age of 25 on the Anaheim starting gate. So it's clearly we're seeing the, the guys get older and older. You know, Jeremy earlier talked about the fact that Eli last year was the oldest guy to win a championship. So pretty significant changes. And then Daniel, I mean, look at look at Eli comes out in the first race of the year. He's 30 years old and he adds himself to a very short list. He's now the eighth rider in the 16th time that we've got somebody winning a Supercross main event over the age of 30. Yeah, I think that's rad. And I, when I look at the ages, I'm, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on this, but when I look at the age and where these guys are now and how many of them are late 20s, early 30s, it seems like the racecraft is maybe near its best right now. That doesn't mean they make all the best decisions because we're still racers. Everyone has their issues, but there's so many guys that have the ability racecraft-wise to get to a checkered flag and get a win. I think that's why there's so much depth. It's not just the talent. It's the experience, it's the racecraft, and then you add in the championships. There's like 15 guys, I think, on the gate at Anaheim 1 that had won a championship of some sort, even a 250 East or West. But when you get a field that's that mature, I feel like the racecraft can be a lot of fun to watch. And then you stack all those championships with guys that think that they can win because they've won a title before. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so special right now is there's that many guys, that experience with that kind of a resume. So... Uh, Jeremy, I'll start with you. When you look at the age, what, what do you see right now in this field um, having a more, I'd, I'd say, mature starting gate than we're used to seeing? You know, first of all, for me, I feel like it's incredible that there's only three guys under 25. We we had all we have all done a lot of winning before we were 25, which is pretty crazy. It has the tide has turned for that. Now, is that proof that the guys with the raw speed, the young guys can't manage their races very good? We're not sure. What is it? Because uh, Eli's got a ton of experience. The older guys have a lot of experience. Uh, you know, Anderson and Webb and, and guys have been there. Barsha's, you know. But uh, I, I'm not even sure what it really has to do with it. It's, just, it's strange because you think, uh, <laughs> I swear I felt my best when I was 22 years old, not 28. So it's, uh, it's definitely for me, I'm just like, wow, that feels old older you know for our sport when 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 rc retired when stanton retired when i i was the one that was like wow he's old still racing right these guys all retired when they were really 27 28 26 whatever pretty young a ferrandis you know anderson a tomac i mean they're they're going as as good as they've ever been Muscan uh at this age so i i don't know what to say about it i just say that i think that fitness and the athletics and the training programs obviously are so much better these days because they're you can do this at, a, at an older age and, and look really good at it so it's awesome i, I gotta throw it to you here ryan because you and the other ryan dungy both retired about the same age and that was totally the story the narrative at that time you got 10 years you got to get out i guess the first thing i'm gonna say i'm a little jealous of eli and anderson and some of these guys in in a good way 
I think that Eli identified something that he wasn't super stoked on, and maybe it was the bike, the team, or whatever else. He was getting a little bit older. Um, he made that decision to move from Kawasaki and go and set up a new challenge and go and, you know, put something new and fresh in front of him at 28-ish, I think, right? 28 or so. Um, and I think that that's really, looking back, like, I am, uh, you know, uh, I'm stoked for him because he's he's able to find fun in it again. And I think at a, at a, these older ages, like I so I retired, I think just at 27, and I was still trying to figure out how to enjoy it. Now I feel like these these guys have kind of figured that out. All right, yeah, and we're waiting. As Jeremy, you said the raw speed type guys to come in and maybe flip this. And I think everyone thinks A of Sexton, and of course Jet Lawrence on the horizon. Jet Lawrence goes out there and dominates Anaheim 1. Didn't look good in practice. Led every lap in the main. It's a big debate if, if he should even be still in 250 Supercross. And I want to go to you, Carmichael, on this one because you said you wish you had stayed in the small class longer. So where do you feel about Jet and his progression into the 450s? I mean, obviously, he is super talented. A lot of fun to watch. And I think we're watching greatness. I mean, even I talk about all the time. It's like he, he make like when he's falling down, he's like, manipulating the motorcycle and his riding style to lessen the blow uh, whatever position he's going to be in right he just makes crashing look look so graceful so uh it's a lot of fun to watch i think for me um i if i were if i were managing him i would let him do the west coast like he's doing and then dabble a little bit in 450 on the opposite coast i feel that that would have certainly helped me going into 1999 racing against the king of supercross um, you know, so, I, but I didn't do that. I was too worried about protecting the, uh, the East coast championship, which hindsight's always 2020. I didn't need to do that. So, uh, I think it would have helped me rather than going in blind at a one, not knowing what I was doing, stepping, I was way too far in the deep end. I needed it. I at least needed some more experience in that premier clash before I was going to race it first time. The guy's got the talent to do it. He's got great people around him. I mean, obviously I'm biased towards Johnny O, but uh, you know, to be able to, to tamper those emotions, if he was able to race the 450 on the opposite coast, I think he has the wherewithal, mental wherewithal to do that. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I certainly would be all for it. And hey, a bit selfishly, I think all of us on this uh, on this interview today would love to see that. It'd be a lot of fun, but I think we'll see him for many, many years to come. I'll say it once, and I've said it before. I think Jet Lawrence's biggest, biggest uh, challenge is going to be controlling the outside noise and really, and, and really focusing on what is the most important. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to have a lot of fame, uh, but nothing sells like winning. I think we all know that. And uh, it, that I feel like that's going to be his biggest challenge. Uh, one other big 450 rider we have to talk about here, though, is, of course, Ken Roxon. Age-wise, not the oldest, but certainly he's been around as a player for a long time. And the big story was the team switch as he goes from Honda to Suzuki. Jeremy McGrath, you once made the exact same move. Are there any parallels that you see between your time at Honda and what Roxon is up against now? You know, it's funny. When when all that went down, I was like, wow, this is like deja vu. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, I I think, uh, I mean, look, he, he for whatever reason, I'm not even sure. I don't think any of us really even know what happened with the situation at Honda. Um, and, and you guys all know my story about it. Look, I think... 
when I did it, it was the opportunity that I, the only opportunity I had. And that was, that was the deal I, I took. Now, Mel Harris at Suzuki was amazing. And the company backed me 100%. It was just a weird time. And, and it was a short seven months on that bike. And I was off to Yamaha. But, uh, you know, Roxon, he seemed pretty good. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much. I feel like in my day, in the two-stroke days, the bike was a pretty big disadvantage. In today's day, I'm not sure it's that the bikes are all fairly similar. It's just really how you set them up, maybe. It's going to be interesting. I think he's going to be good. I think he'll be fine. He was fast last week. He didn't probably get the result he wanted, but he he was good. I think, uh, yeah, it's strange for all of us to think about, but you never know what's going on. I mean, RC had the same situation. He he, he moved around, to, went over to Team Suzuki, and he killed it over there. So uh, they're capable of winning, and, and he's capable of winning. I just, uh, we'll see what happens. All right, and it's all going to continue right here at Snapdragon Stadium. What's behind me? We'll all be here uh, this Saturday. I think it'll be a little drier by then. So I'm going to go to the panel here. I want each of you to give me one thing you're going to be on the lookout for this weekend. I'll start with you, Ricky Carmichael. What's on your mind? Well, I think I'll, I'll start with the 250, his, uh, the 250 class. If it's wet, uh, I think it really gives an opportunity for these guys to maybe not let Jet get more momentum. So you look at RJ Hampshire. Uh, how, how's he going to do? Is he going to be able to stop him? Cameron McAdoo. Um, I was really impressed by uh, Volan's ride. Max Volan had a great ride uh, at the Anaheim opener. So cool to see that. Shifting over to the 450s, uh, can Eli maintain that uh, ma- maintain that momentum? Uh, really fun to watch him. It's incredible to see what he's been able to do at his age. Uh, I do think there's so much parity in that track. That, um, you know, that, that class is so deep. Um, really, you can't go wrong. The racing is going to sell itself all season long. What are you thinking about coming into San Diego, Jeremy? Well, I'm thinking, uh, you know, look, we had an unfortunate cancellation of Oakland because of weather. It's raining last night like crazy in San Diego. We can see behind you the base of that stadium looks like a soupy mess. Uh, Hopefully the back half of the week is going to have good weather. We're going to get hopefully get the sun comes out, get that thing dry a little bit. Practice is probably going to be tough. Uh, I think we're going to see some good racing, but if I'm Eli Tomac looking at this weekend with a wet floor, wet track, he's probably like, all right, yeah, I got these guys handled. So we're going to have to see some some guys step up the game. Uh, I think that, that this weekend might be another weekend that the guys need to manage their mistakes, right? Because if it is ruddy and soft, a lot of stuff can happen. We saw it at round one. Well, I'm uh, excited that it's going to be dry. And, um, you know, I had an awesome time as a fan going to Anaheim 1 and brought the boys. Um, and I think somebody that was that we didn't talk and touch a bunch on was, like uh, Jeremy said, was um, Anderson. Um, you know, he has the capability of hanging it out and riding up front with those guys. So I'm hoping to see something good out of him this weekend. And, uh, you know, getting back up front, putting her on the box, if not racing, you know, Eli, um, you know, for that win. So... Uh, and then we got to go to the 50 class with Jet. Somebody's got to stop him if they want to have a chance. Um, it's a short season, eight rounds um, for those guys. So if, if he gets on a roll too much longer, there's no stopping him. So I'm just excited to go to San Diego and check it out and, and hopefully have our first dry race of the year. Yeah, it's good to have the family out there at Anaheim 1. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. Like we said, it's not going to be raining, we don't believe, on Saturday. Track might be a little wet, but that actually led to great racing at Anaheim 1 as they dealt with those conditions. Awesome to have this panel on hand. How many wins we got combined here? 
Clinton, give us the data. Um, amongst the crew on on air here, we got 264 wins combined. Okay. Uh, we won't tell you where the contributions came from. It's just combined. Uh, thanks for having the panel. Thanks for the help. We will see you guys this weekend. Thanks for the help, boys. Thank you, guys. Thank you very thanks. much. Awesome, awesome, awesome to have that panel. And we expect some awesome racing this weekend in San Diego. Here's who you can watch. 4.30 Eastern time. That will be Saturday's Race Day Live premiere. And then racing 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock local in California. You can catch that all on Peacock. And then flip over to the Super Motocross YouTube channel after the race. We're going to have the SMX Insider post-race show coming your way. That is on the Super Motocross Insider YouTube channel, which you're watching right now. Go there after the race is over on Saturday. Clinton, the panel has already weighed in. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, Weege, I'm looking forward to seeing if Dylan Ferrandez can get a start this weekend. He got 19th off of the gate last weekend uh, in Anaheim, but he set the third fastest average lap time across the board. So I think I think he could sneak up and maybe surprise us. Uh, and the only other one that I'll throw out there is if you remember last year here at San Diego at Petco Park, Jason Anderson came all the way from buried in the in the back of the pack off the start to back up to second before mechanical. So to me, both of those guys are really interesting to look at when we're in San Diego this weekend. What about you, Daniel Blair? Uh, two things. First, I'm looking forward to being on site at Snapdragon. Um, it's it's new but old. You know, I raced my career at Qualcomm, so I'm familiar uh, with being outside of San Diego a bit. And there was always great vibes out there. And now we move back out that way. So to be on a stadium that's going to have a little bit different floor. Um, if I think of Petco, I think of a smaller version of Anaheim, that baseball stadium, which, you know, allows the track crew to be creative in a certain way. Well, this is going to be more creative in a football way. So uh, a little bit different track look on race day live. That's the first thing you'll notice. It's going to be in a different place with a different style of track early in the championship. Um, and then for me, the second thing is star Yamaha, uh, the monster energy Yamaha star racing team, not great in the 250 class to kick things off. I think we talked about it. The standard there is, is win and championship or bust, but they've got a young roster. I want to see what Levi kitchen and styles Robertson do their second attempt at it. Cause Anaheim was a little rough for both. And, uh, I, I believe in those guys a lot. So I think they're going to have a, a big turnaround in San Diego, but uh, they're going to have to prove it because that field's pretty tough too in the top five. So that's what I'm looking for, Jason. Well, those 250 riders don't need to look very far to know where to go. Right next door, the other semi, Eli Tomac is winning races for that team, but it's not going to be easy with that 450 field. It'll all happen right here at Snapdragon Stadium on Saturday. We're your SMX insiders, Daniel Blair, Clinton Fowler. I'm Jason Wygant. We'll see you next week.